Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of 1 Samuel. We're seeing really the history of the nation of Israel. We're seeing the leadership changes we saw from the time of the judges and the last judge being Samuel, and then Samuel anoints Saul as the first king of the nation of Israel, and we said that Saul started out so good, and now he's turned so bad, and it's just messing up, and we're seeing his failures, and today we see his second failure, and we'll see how that ties together. Saul, who started well, finished poorly, and what we want to do is start well and finish well, and we We've seen that as Saul as a whole, as Saul has failed as the leader of the nation, he, he failed to unite the nation, he failed to unite the army, he failed to obey God and, and, and God's word and God's instruction. And last time we saw he made an unwise decision, he made this oath that was a bad oath while they were fighting a battle, and it limited the victory, it led to the sin of the people dealing with the sacrifices, and it almost cost Jonathan, that's his son, his life. And what we're seeing at this point is a great contrast between Jonathan and and and, and, and Saul. Jonathan is a man of faith. That's Saul's son, and Saul is a man of the flesh. We've been seeing over and over that Saul uh, wants the glory. Uh, when he went to battle, he, he said something like, I will not be satisfied till I am avenged of my enemies. It's the Lord who gets the vengeance, not him. And it is the Lord who fights the battles and those kind of things. And we're going to even see some things that he does this morning. Uh, we ended last time, it's been several weeks ago since I've been gone for, on vacation, and w- we ended last time in 1 Samuel 14, verse 52, it said this, Now the war against the Philistines was severe all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any mighty man or any valiant man, he attached him to his staff. So there was always fighting, always problems, always issues with the Philistines as long as Saul was the king. Now let me tell you a thing today, we're going to see it, that Saul is going to be rejected as the king of Israel. But that doesn't mean it happens that exact moment. There's going to be some time, in fact, from the time that God rejects Saul from being the king until Saul is no longer the king is about 15, maybe almost 20 years. This morning, we're going to see the second failure of Saul. We already saw the first thing, first thing that Samuel told Saul, I will meet you there, and Samuel would offer a sacrifice. Well, Samuel didn't show up, or he did show up, but he didn't show up when Saul thought he should, and so Saul offered the sacrifice, which was wrong, which was contrary to the Scripture. And when Samuel got there, he said, what in the world are you doing? You're not supposed to offer sacrifice. Only the priest can offer sacrifices. So we're going to see now his second failure. And when we see this, it's going to be sad because God will remove the kingdom from Saul. And uh, we're going to see how all this ties together this morning. It's a long chapter. I'm going to go fast. It's, uh, it's 35 verses. We'll see how it goes together, and we'll see Saul's second failure. Now, let me start by this and say, have you ever... Have you ever been caught doing something wrong? <laughs> you know, we go, no. Well, maybe when I was a kid. Well, no, we all do things wrong even now. And, and sometimes, especially when we were a kid, somebody calls and says, what do you think you're doing? And you say, well, uh, you know, I, I really didn't do that, or uh, it really was something else, or we blame somebody else. We live in a society today that everyone is a victim. People do not want to take responsibility for their own actions, and they want to say, well, it's because what happened to me 100 years ago, when I say my family or my, my country or what happened to me, my, my parents when I was brought up, how they brought me up, that's why I'm the way I am, or that's why I have these kind of problems. And we're going to see that today that Saul does the same thing. Saul gets caught 
doing something wrong, and what does he do? And we're going to see it. We're going to see the rejection of Saul as king. He failed to trust God, and he failed to obey God. And so as we see him and he gets caught, we see what he tries to do. He's trying to justify his actions, and we do that a lot. We say, well, I didn't didn't really do it that way, or well, I tried to do it that way. Well, I, I thought this was a better way or something. And then we try to blame somebody else, and we say things like, well, you don't know what my background, and you don't know what happened to me, and you don't know what that person did. And Well, if this person hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done this. Well, it's really easy to do that, and that's what we try to do sometimes. Let me give you the sort of the outline for the passage this morning. Okay, we're going to look at it this way. Uh, Saul gets instructions from God. Samuel brings them to him, but God gives it to Samuel, and Samuel comes and tells Saul what to do. And then we see that he doesn't do it, so we see Samuel comes to confront Saul, and we see what happens there. We see God rejects Saul as the king. We'll see what happens there. It's going to be a while before it happens, but he rejects him. And then we Sam, I see, I call it this way, Samuel finishes the command, and we'll see how that ties together. So 1 Samuel chapter 15, I'll begin reading it, verse 1. Let's see what happens. It says this, Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people over Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Now, Samuel is is talking to Saul, and what happened, God has sent Samuel to him, the Lord, he says, the Lord sent me to anoint you as the king. Remember, Saul was, was the tallest, most handsome guy in Israel, but he was from the tribe of Benjamin, and he wasn't really well known, and all of a sudden, God allows him to be raised up as the king of Israel. And that is a, that's a big responsibility. He's the first one. The king of Israel was supposed to be the representative of God to the people. I want you to think about that. The king of Israel was the representative of God to the people. He was supposed to know the Bible. A king was supposed to have his own copy of the scripture, and he was to read it and to know it and make decisions based off the scripture. He was supposed to uh, live for God and those kind of things. And so we saw that Saul started really good, and now he's turned really bad. And he wants pri- he's pride. He wants glory for himself. When his son Jonathan did something, he took credit for it. We're going to see what happens today as we look at this passage. So the Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. So here, he's going to give him some instructions. Now, by the way, Samuel, if you remember, Samuel was the one who anointed the king. Samuel was a prophet and a priest and a judge. And now he's no longer serving as a judge that's been turned over to being the king. So Samuel was one of the, probably the most important man in Israel, and probably at this point still the most important man in Israel. And he is sent to Saul with a message. He was the one who anointed Saul as the first king. Samuel will also be the one who anoints David as the second king. And it may surprise you if you hadn't studied or read through 1 Samuel chapter 16, the very next chapter. This is where David becomes anointed as the king. And so we're going to see what happens. Saul comes, or Samuel comes to Saul and says, now hear the words of the Lord. And so he's going to give him some instructions. I want you to notice the end of verse 15. It says, now hear the words of the Lord. And the Lord is all for it's all capitals L O R D that's the personal name of God he says this is direct revelation from God this is what God says for you to do now let me tell you you have direct revelation from God in your hand. It is a book, 66 books. It's one big book. It's 66 books. It's Old Testament books. It's New Testament books. It all comes together. But you have in your hand the revelation, the written revelation from God. You have the word of God. And you should obey it. We should all obey it. Well, let's see what's going to happen. Here's the message. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Here's what God says. I will punish 
Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he himself said, uh, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy, destroy all that he has. Do not spare him, but you put to death both man and woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Now here's what God says. God says this people group called the Amalekites. There was a man named Amalek who was the head of the group. He's dead now, but they're called the Amalekites. They've got a king. His name is, uh, is Agi, and we're going to see him in just a little bit. And these people are bad people. Now, I want you to understand something. They were evil people. When the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and they were trying to get to the promised land, this group of people would come up behind them and all of the older people, the people who couldn't walk very fast, the people who were weak, the people who were sick, they killed them and stole all their stuff. They are called the Amalekites and they were evil people. God is going to judge the Amalekites. If you read the passage, he says to Saul, you go up and you utterly destroy the Amalekites. Now, you could look at that and say, does that seem right to you that God says destroy all these people? Listen, I, I'm not trying to defend God. God does what he wants to do. God deals with sin, and God judges sin. These people were totally opposed to the nation of Israel and tried to kill them. God judges them. Let me give you an idea of who these people are. The Amalekites were a people group. Look what it says in Deuteronomy. It says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way when you came out of Egypt. How he confronted you on the way, he attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary. He did not fear God. When he says he, he's talking about Amalek, but he's also talking about the people group, the Amalekites. So it shall come about, look, when the Lord gives you rest from your enemies that, and he gives you an inheritance, you shall wipe out the mention of the name Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget, God is going to judge them. The reason he judges them is because they're opposed to the nation of Israel and they've attacked them. And I want you to see something. It says in verse 3, Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. The word utterly destroy literally means to put them under the ban. That means dedicated to destruction. Now you and I could look at that and say, Gosh, you mean God's telling them to go wipe out all those people? He said, Yeah, because they were evil people and they did evil things. Now let me tell you another thing they did. They attacked God's people. Do you remember? back in Genesis 12 when God says to Israel, to Abraham, I will bless those that what? Bless you and I will curse those that what? Curse you. They have cursed the nation of Israel and God is going to curse them. He says, I'm going to put them to death. That's between you and the Lord. How you look at this passage, I look at it that God does what he chooses. God judges sin and God deals with sin. He deals with evil people and he's going to deal with these evil people who attacked Israel. So he will bless those that bless them. He will curse those that curse them. I say this a lot. Uh, one of the things that you see throughout history is nations and people groups that bless Israel are blessed. And nations and people groups that do not bless Israel are not blessed. And that's why the United States from 1948 on, when the nation of Israel, on um, May, uh, May 14th, the nation of Israel became a nation. The United States recognized them immediately. The United States has been behind the nation of Israel for years and years, always has. I hope that continues. We need to do that. We need to bless them. That doesn't mean they always do everything right, and that doesn't mean they're believers in Jesus Christ. They as a people group as a whole are not believers in Jesus Christ, but they will during the tribulation, but we'll talk about that at another time. But it is very important that we bless those that God blesses, and he'll bless us. So anyway, this is why he's coming after the Amalekites. And so he says to Saul, Saul, 
You've heard about those people. You remember what they did. You know the story, the history. We know where they are now. There's a city called Amalek. I want you to go there and wipe them all out. Now, let me tell you what he says. He says, both man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, donkeys, wipe it all out. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, here's what we find, that Saul then summoned the people, and, he, and it looks like Saul's going to do right. Saul summoned the people, he numbered uh, at Talim 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. So he's ready. He's uh, uh, got around that city with 210,000 people, and he said, what we're going to do is we're going to go in there and we're going to kill them because that's what we're supposed to do. And that's what we're supposed to do. Now, notice that there's a group, and there's a group called the Kenites, Look at this. Saul said to the Kenites, this is verse 6, go depart, go down from among the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Now let me tell you, there was a people group called the Kenites. And when the nation of Israel came up, they helped Israel. He's going to do what to them? He's going to bless them because they blessed Israel. What's he going to do with the Amalekites? He's going to curse them because they cursed Israel. And that's what we see. And this is what's going to happen. So he went and said, let me show you the grace of God. We're fixing to attack and kill everything in this area. If you, get, get, you could get killed with them. So the best thing for you to do is get out. Get out as quickly as possible. And they did leave. And so it says, so the Kenites departed from the Ammon, the Amalekites. Now, these people, you may not know this, these people, the Kenites, were actually descendants of Moses' father-in-law. Moses' father-in-law was named Jethro. And these were people who were actually descendants of his. And so they, they, were, they were good people. So what happened? Look at verse 7. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Well, when we first read this, it sounds good. Boy, they went in there and they attacked and they did this. But notice, notice this. He captured the king, what? Agag, he killed all the people, but he captured him alive. Was he supposed to leave anybody alive? What about the animals? What were they supposed to do? And, and so he said he captured Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the sword. Now, let me ask you something. Did Saul do what he was supposed to do? The answer is no. And you might say, well, well he did almost everything he was supposed to do. He did, he did most of everything he was supposed to do. When the Word of God says do something and we say, well, I'm doing some of it. Well, I did almost some of it. I, I'd like to do it my way. Because see, what Saul did is he decided to do his way rather than God's way. And sometimes people say, well, I like the Bible. The Bible's good in some places, but I don't take some of the Bible over here. And, you know, I think I live my life the way I want to live my life. And that's what Saul is saying. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's not how we live. We obey the word of God. And so the question is, did Saul do what he was supposed to do? The answer is no, he did not. He spared Agag, and he also spared the best of the animals. So what was he supposed to do? Back in verse 3, it said, and destroy ox and sheep and camel and donkey. Verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lamb, and all that was good, and they were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. Listen, they came up and they saw, that's a, that's a bad sheep, kill it. That's a bad cow, kill it. That's a good cow, keep it. That's a good. And so what they did is they came in and they kept the best for themselves. Now, what were they supposed to do? Destroy it all. They were supposed to obey God. They were supposed to destroy what God said to destroy. 
And so Saul has not done what he's supposed to do. Incomplete obedience is not, it is really disobedience. See, we can say, well, I sort of did what God wanted me to do. I sort of did it. No, it's not sort of did it. It's not I did some of it. It's do I obey the word of God or not? Do I live by the scripture or not? Do I say that this is okay, but this is not okay? Oh, I believe this, but I don't believe that. We were talking to our grow group about it. You know, some people will say, well, I don't believe there was an Adam and an Eve. I think maybe they were just representatives or something. And some people say, well, I don't think there was a Jonah. I got thrown in, a, you know, in the water. But Jesus said there was an Adam. <coughs> and Jesus said there was a Jonah. So who are you going to believe? You're going to believe what Jesus said? If you do, take the whole Bible. <coughs> so here we see the scripture, and Saul does not obey. So look what happens. <clears throat> then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Now, here's the word of the Lord coming to Samuel. Oh, it's powerful words. I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. God comes to Samuel. Remember, Samuel's a prophet. And God comes to him and he says, I regret making him king. Now, when you looked at Saul, he would be the perfect king. I mean, when you look around it, and he's taller than anybody else, he's handsome, he's sharp, he's everything, and, and, and we'd say, that that is a king, and, and he was. And he started so good, and now he's doing so poorly. <clears throat> and so, what's going to happen? God speaks to Samuel, and he says, I regret that I made Saul. Why? Because he's not following me, he's not doing what I said, and he's not obeying me. And Samuel was distressed and cried to the Lord all night. See, Samuel didn't want him to fail. Samuel wanted Saul to do well. Samuel probably said, look, he looks good. He, should, he could be a great king. But we notice he's already not a great king. He's already turned away and said things like, it's my battle, and I'm going to get honored. And when Jonathan did something great, Saul took the, took the glory for it. And so Saul has turned away from being a godly man and living from God to doing the things that are wrong. So look what happens. Samuel rose up early in the morning to meet Saul. And he was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. I'm going to read the verse fast, and I'll come back. And then he turned and went to Gilgal. Now, Samuel got up to go find Saul. Saul was at a place called Carmel. Now, when you hear Carmel, you think of Mount Carmel, which is over on the, the west coast of Israel. No, it's not Mount Carmel. There's a little town called Carmel, which is about seven or eight miles from Hebron. And that's what he did. Now, look what he did when he went there. Samuel rose up early in the morning to meet Saul, verse 12. It was told, Samuel, Saul has come to Carmel, and he set up a monument for himself. Now, I want you to realize that. He's a man of pride. Listen, he had this victory, and so he, in a city, he put up a, a monument to himself and says, there I am, that's me, Saul. I got victory over the Philistines. I got victory. He's honoring himself. Who gets all the glory? God gets all the glory. We don't, we don't get glory. When somebody says to you, great thing, you go, oh, grace of God. God's so great. He's so wonderful, and he is. And Saul is saying, I get the glory. Saul sets a monument for himself and headed down to Gilgal. So Saul is a man of pride. And, and this, Samuel came to Saul. Now think about this. Now, I wanna, before I read the verse, <clears throat> if you're Samuel, you're coming to Saul. If you're Saul, you know you didn't do right. 
You know you lied. You know that you were supposed to go in there and wipe everything out, but what you did is you kept the king because you know what you said? I got the king. I captured him. He's going to be my servant. That just shows you I'm great. And we kept all the good animals. We want all the good animals. With all those bad animals, we got rid of them, but all the good animals we kept. Now, Samuel's coming to see you. What are you going to tell Samuel? You know deep down you haven't done what God told you to do. So what does he do? Let's look at the verse. Samuel, verse 13, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. What? I've carried out the command of the Lord. Can you see him coming out? Hey, I did everything God wanted me to do. Now, you know, Samuel knows everything because Samuel's a prophet of God. He knows he hasn't done it. He already knows. God has already told Samuel that he didn't follow out and do what he's supposed to do. And you can see Samuel looking at him and saying, you're lying to me and you know you're lying to me. You haven't carried out the command of the Lord. It is so easy to justify, isn't it? It isn't so easy to say, well, I, I, I've, I've done the best that I could do. No, no, you hadn't. And so he says, I carried out the command of the Lord. And you know, that I call this rationalization because what we try to do is justify ourselves and we say things like, well, the best animals, there was no sense killing the best animals. I mean, why would you kill a bunch of good animals? And I mean, the King Agag, I mean, he's a bad man, so I'm going to keep him and just make him like my slave. That'll be really wonderful. Is that what God told you to do? Well, no, it's not what God told me to do, but I think it's a good idea. You do? When the Bible says do something, do you say, well... I think I got a better idea than what God says. That's what we do sometimes. We try to justify ourselves, and we try to blame others. We say, well, it's not really my fault. Saul's going to say, oh, those animals, uh, the people, the people wanted them. I, I didn't really care, but the people wanted them. The next time we get caught, let's don't try to justify ourselves, and let's don't try to blame other people. Let's take the responsibility. Look what Samuel does. He's so smart. Uh, Samuel says in verse 14, Samuel said, What then, if, if you've done what God told you to do, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? Why do I hear these animals? There's not supposed to be any animals. You're supposed to kill them all. And I hear animals. Do, do I hear? I think I hear some sheep. I think I hear some cows. Now, if you did what God told you to do, there wouldn't be any sheep or cows. How do I hear them? How do I hear them? Look what he says. Saul said, oh, 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 they brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. And what we're going to do is we're going to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. Notice he's out of fellowship. He doesn't say the Lord, my God. He says the Lord, your God. But the rest we've utterly destroyed. He said, well, we just decided, we just decided to keep the best one. And what we're going to actually do is, is offer them to God. Look how he's trying, to, he's trying to make what he did look good when it's really bad. And sometimes we do that. We, we say, well, I, I didn't really do that, but, but, but what I thought was a, a better thing. And he said, they did it. They did it. He wanted to, he, he, he's saying the people, the people, the people wanted to save them. The people wanted to sacrifice them to God. That's what, that's what we really wanted. We honor God by obedience to his plan, not our plan. Our plan not that good, let me just tell you that. When the Bible says something, we should do what it says, not what we think is best. Sometimes people say, well, I think, I think, I don't know, I wouldn't do that. Well, okay, but you're not God. 
Let's do what God says. Let's obey. Look what happens. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. Let me just show you something here. Uh, Samuel told him to be quiet. See, Saul started talking. And he was saying, well, let me tell you what happened. As I decided to spare this guy. And we decided to spare this and this. And what, what basically Samuel did was say, shut up. Stop talking. Let me tell you what God told me last night. See, sometimes we want to say, I did this, I did that. What we need to do is shut up and realize that we disobeyed Scripture and we need to deal with it. And so what happened? Samuel said to Saul, wait, stop, be quiet. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, well, tell me, tell me what it is. And here's what we see. Samuel said, is it not true that though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribe of Israel and the Lord anointed you as king over Israel. He said, Saul, wasn't it true that you were small, basically in the small tribe of Benjamin and God raised you up to be king? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the Lord sent you on a mission and he said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're exterminated. Did he not tell you to do that? Yes. Then why did you not Obey the voice of the Lord, but you rushed upon the spoil and you did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Let me tell you what. He said you did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He didn't do what God said to do. And let me tell you, sometimes we look at it and we say, well, all they did was spare some animals. Good gracious, what's so wrong about that? Because God said, come. Well, what about Adam and Eve? I mean, they're in the garden. What they, all they did was eat it like a banana, right? That's all they did. What's so bad about that? Because God said not eat it. And when we disobey God, see, we, we look at things and we say, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And we buy into it. I see the Christian culture has, uh, believers have bought into the culture. How many believers who living together aren't married. And you know what they say? It's not that bad. It's not, everybody does it. No, not believers. We're not supposed to. The culture may do, but not the believers. But we bought into it. And we say, well, it's not that bad. I know what God really says, but it's not that bad. Saul said to Samuel, now this is what's wild. He says, why did you not do what God told you to do? And look at verse 20. Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord, and I went on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've utterly destroyed the, the Amalekites. You know what he says? I did obey. I did, no, he didn't, because he brought back Agag, and he wasn't supposed to do it. He didn't obey. He's lying again, and he's lying to himself, and he's saying, I did do what God said for me to do. No, you didn't, and you know you didn't. And sometimes we say things like, really, I hadn't done anything wrong when you know you have, when I know I have. We know we sin. We know we've come short of the glory of God, and we want to justify it, and we want to blame somebody else instead of taking the responsibility ourselves. And what does he want to do? He want to blame the people is what he really wants to do. Look at verse 21. He said, but the people took some of the spoil of the sheep and the oxen and the choice of the things devoted to destruction, to the sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. He, he said, I, the people caused it. See, whenever I sin, the truth is, when I sin, it's your fault. You caused it. You put me in situations where I messed up, or you did this, and so I did this. That's what he's actually saying. The people wanted the animals, and that's why we didn't kill them all, and so it's the people's fault. It's not really my fault. 
So what does God say in verse 22? Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Listen, which would God rather have, a sacrifice or your obedience? Does God want you to go through the motions or does he want you to obey him? Do you want you to say, I'm a Christian and I do what's right? Some of the times that I try to look good, most of the time, especially on Sunday, but maybe not necessarily on Tuesday, or does he want you to obey him? And Saul basically is saying, well, I, I, I did most of what I was supposed to do. And Samuel says, no, no. And then he says this in verse 23, for rebellion is the sin of deviation, insubordination is iniquity and idolatry. I'll stop there because he's basically saying, whenever you do your way and your own thing, That's the same as idolatry because you're putting your way above God. You're putting something above God. And then notice these next words. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. You have rejected the word of the Lord and God has rejected you from being the king. That's about the saddest words you're going to find. That's about the saddest words you're going to find. He already said back in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, because you disobeyed, God is going to take the kingdom away. He did not trust God. He did not obey God. We find that in the next chapter, he's going to take the Holy Spirit away from Saul. And remember this, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could come and go. It had nothing to do with salvation. God would bring the Holy Spirit upon people to use them to do ministry and to do things. In the New Testament, when you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, when you believe in him for eternal life, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and will never leave. So when the Holy Spirit left Saul, we're going to see that next week, That didn't mean he lost his salvation or anything. That means God took away the power to serve because he has been rejected as the king of Israel. Guess who he gives the Holy Spirit to? To David, who's coming next. We'll see that uh, as we go through the passages uh, next couple of weeks. And so he says, and we're going to see the Holy Spirit's going to leave in chapter 16, and in chapter 31, we're going to see the kingdom is going to be taken away. That will be the end there. Now watch what Saul does. Look at verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your your words because I feared the people to listen to their voice. Listen to what he does. He starts off by saying, I sinned. But then who does he blame? I listened to the people. They're the ones at fault. They're the ones at fault. Now, let me show you something. Uh, When he said, I have sinned, That word sinned actually means overlooked. It doesn't mean I recognize I did wrong. He's actually saying, oh, I missed it. Uh, I missed it. I I forgot about killing everybody. I'm sorry. I overlooked it. I overlooked it. He's still fearing the people. Saul's still blaming the people. Notice what Samuel says. Samuel said to Saul, I will not, uh, uh, let, me, let me give you verse 25. He says, uh, please go back with me, pardon me, and return with me that I may worship the Lord. He says, return with me and pardon me. Look, he can, Samuel can't pardon him. Samuel's not God. The only person that can pardon him and forgive him is God. 
And he's rejecting God right now because he's rejecting God's word. And, he's doing, and he says, oh, please take care of me. And Samuel says, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. He says, you gotta go back with me because it won't look good if you don't go back. It's gonna make me look bad if I go back without you. And he says, no, I'm not gonna go back with you. I'm not going to go back. And then watch what happens. This is amazing. As Samuel turned to go, Saul grabbed the edge of his robe and it tore. Can you see him walking away? And he grabs him. He says, no, don't leave. And it tears. And then look what it says. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. The Lord has torn the kingdom away. Can you see it? Saul reaches out and he goes, hey, you just tore my jacket, right? Well, let me just tell you something. You tore this, God has torn the kingdom from you and he's given it to your neighbor who is better than you. You know who that neighbor is? That's David. David's coming. David's coming in the next chapter. We're going to get to see him, see who he is and what he's done. Saul is so concerned about his reputation. It goes on to say in verse 29, the glory of Israel will not change his mind. He will, he's not a man that he should change his mind. God is not changing his mind about this. Look at verse 30. Then he said, Saul said, I've sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of the people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God still out of fellowship. He says, go back with me so I can look good. Go back with me. Listen, he's so concerned about his reputation. He wants Samuel to go back because if he goes back without Samuel, everybody's going to say, where's Samuel? How come he didn't come back with you? You're... He's supposed to be your right. He's supposed to be the big man. Why didn't you come back with you? So he says to Saul, please go back. I mean, to Samuel, please go back with me. Please go back with me. Watch verse 31. So Samuel went back following Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Well, that looks good. Samuel went back with him. Why? Has Samuel changed his mind? The answer is no. He goes back for a reason. I want you to see what it is. Verse 32. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. Let me tell you what happens here. Samuel says, Bring that king here. Well, the king has been there now for a while. And he thinks, you know, they haven't killed me yet. They're probably not going to kill me. And now here's this old man standing there. And so he says he comes cheerfully. The king comes cheerfully because he figures, they're not going to kill me. They're going to let me live. This is going to be great. Well, he, let me tell you, he doesn't know Samuel. Because Samuel doesn't put off anything. Samuel has been a great judge, a great prophet, and a great priest. So look what happens. Samuel said, uh, Samuel said, bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully, and Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. I got it made. I'm going to make it. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so your mother will be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. He did with, can you see him? Samuel said, who's got a sword? Give me that sword. Come over here. And he cut him to pieces right there in front of everybody. And he probably looked at Saul and said, that's what you were supposed to do. When God tells us to do something, when the word of God is clear, when it's a right and wrong, let's do what is right. And so what did, what did Samuel do? He finished the command of God.
Well, look how this ends. It says, Then Samuel went up to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house of Gibeah at Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted he had made Saul king of Israel. Now, I have to show you something uh, it, just by this verse when it says, Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. As you read through the scripture, they did see each other. But I want you to understand that this word right here, see, doesn't mean see like, like I looked at you. It means to pay attention. From this point on, Samuel did not pay attention to Saul anymore because Saul has now been rejected as the king of Israel. And we're going to find in chapter 16, which is next week, we're going to find the new king, and he's going to be a boy. He's going to be 14 years old. He's going to be the new king of Israel, and he's going to be a man after God's own heart. So what have we seen? Samuel gives instructions to Saul. Saul disobeys, tries to justify it and blame other people. Samuel gives the message of his rejection. Samuel completes it by killing Agag, and then they separate in their sadness. Let me give you some applications. The first one is this. Let's obey the word of God. Let's obey it. We must live by the scripture. Saul failed to obey the word of God. How do we respond to God's word? Do we know it? Do we study it? Do we apply it? Do we look at the scripture and say, I want my life based on the word of God? We have to do this. This is the word of God. It is alive and powerful. It is profitable for our teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We have to know the scripture. Partial obedience is not obedience. We can't say, I do some of it. I try to live okay. I try to obey some things. Some things I just don't obey. Well, Nobody else does it either. Are we going to live by the scripture or not? And we must. The second thing, let's deal with sin in our lives. We have to deal with sin in our lives. Do not try to justify our sin. We can't do that. Do not blame other people for our sin. We can't do that. What we have to do is confess it and forsake it. Confession means to tell on yourself. When we sin, when we lie, when we cheat, when we steal, whatever we do, we say, Lord, I lied. That's confession. Homo legeo, the Greek word. Homo, same, legeo to say, say the same thing. God says, lying is wrong. We say, God, I lied. It was wrong. That's confession. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So we, we have to do that. The third thing is just realize that sin has consequences. Saul is going to lose the kingdom because of his actions. And when we disobey God, we cannot be used. Listen, when we're trying to live righteously and godly in a fallen world, and then we do things that are wrong, we, we have to understand that if we're out of fellowship with God, we can't be used. Notice Saul two different times keeps saying, the Lord your God, the Lord your God, not the Lord his God. He's out of fellowship with God. Let's be faithful. Let's grow. Let's know the word of God. Let's grow in our relationship and fellowship with God.